Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened, and we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged, and we love you. God bless. Week three of a series we call um, The Life of Jesus, and it's all about the life of Jesus. We're taking the book of Mark and just kind of unpacking it and learning more about who Jesus was and how he did things. We were talking in the, in the prayer room about how the service was, how we felt like the service was going to go. And somebody said, well, Dwayne, you know, you are a little long-winded. And I said, if I'm long-winded, you've never been in a long-winded service. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you about 26 minutes of information and a five-minute challenge. Okay? Can you stay with me? All righty. Everybody got your Red Bull coffee ready to go? All right. Our series text is Mark chapter 6. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's in your bulletin. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. I love this passage. It says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that, he, that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? I love that phrase. And many who heard him were amazed. How many know that the life of Jesus is the most amazing, miraculous, life-changing life that's ever been lived? And we're here today to celebrate him. Pray with me. Father, over the next few moments, we need you to explode your word in our heart. And God, help us to understand who you are, what you did while you were here. And God, this morning, teach us about your return. We love you, Jesus. Everybody said. Week one, we we saw, we, we talked about how Jesus taught us how to serve. How Jesus taught us to serve his kingdom. How Jesus taught us to serve his church. How Jesus taught us to serve each other. Last week, we... We learned how Jesus taught us who is in control and how many know it's not us, right? Uh, and, and we look specifically as how do we respond when Jesus, when we, when we pray uh, and ask God for something and he says no. Um, how do we respond? We respond with surrender and with trust. Well, today, uh, before we get going, I got a, a little confession to make. See, I, I showed you a bunch of pictures earlier of all of the work that went on during the Thrive event. Well, what you're looking at on the screen is Stephen Shaw, Elijah Weeder, and myself gathered around a four-and-a-half-inch iPad trying to watch the Georgia football game. <laughs> True story. And at one point, I looked at Elijah, and I was like, Elijah, I, I can't see where the ball's going. <laughs> I can't either. But we watched it anyway. So we tried to watch a little bit here and there. And, and uh, I had actually recorded it when I got home. And so I, I went down in the man cave and, and I watched every moment of it. And uh, it, it, it was beginning to get a little out of hand. I was playing on my phone. And all of a sudden I saw all the play stop. And all this attention was 
on this one young man. Um, and so I, I rewound it and I started, I watched that, that whole play. And as it unfolded, it was a young man, I wrote his name down, his young, the, Devin Gales, young man that played for Southern University. Late in the game, the game's already out of hand. And um, if, if, if they're football fans, any football fans in the house, by the way, just so I know? Um, you may know this, I mean, even in Wee League, you're always taught to, if you're, if you're tackling, if you're blocking, you want to see what you hit. Because if you see what you hit and, and you hit it, it it'll, it'll stand you up. If, if you can't see what you're hitting, that means you're looking down and then all the force is going to the top of your head and that can create obvious issues. And that's exactly what happened to this young man. He had tremendous force right on the top of his head and, I, and, and he's laying there motionless. And because I've been watching football since I was two, and I've seen these types of things happen on the field, I, I watched as the doctors, as he lay there motionless, began to pinch his leg. And, and you know there's just this, you know, it really doesn't matter what color jersey you're rooting for at that moment. It's, it's, it's about the life of this young man. And I saw red jerseys, and I saw white jerseys gathered around each other. I saw pictures later of people holding hands in prayer for this young man, Devin Gales. I checked on his status this morning, and the good news was that he had moved his hands. Uh, so we really don't know what's going on with this young man. But here's what we do know. Yesterday was a defining moment in that young man's life. His life, regardless of how this plays out, his life will never, ever, ever be the same. His life was forever changed in that moment, in that brief decision just to lower his head a little. His life was forever changed. Defining moment. Those moments that happen sometimes suddenly that change the course of your life forever. I have a friend in Statesboro who's a, just a couple of years older than me. And if you were to hear his testimony, he would talk to you about growing up in an abusive home. He would tell you that from the age of six, he watched his dad beat up his mom. And the house became more and more and more and more violent till at, it culminated when he's 16 years of age and him and his father are having this incredible fight, this incredible argument, and my friend Glenn takes a shotgun and murders his father at the age of 16 years old and spends eight years of his life in prison. Now, if you were to ask him today about the defining moments of his life, he would tell you two about two defining moments. It was when he met Jesus and the instant before he made a choice to pull that trigger. Those defining moments that once you ring that bell, you can never, ever, ever unring it. What about you? What's, what's your defining moment? What are the series of moments in your life? I'll give you some of mine. The summer of 1981. Just so I, I, I feel really bad about myself. How many of you were not born the summer of 1981? 
Help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Summer 1981, somebody said, Dwayne, this is Donna. Guess what? Screeching halt, everything changed that moment. How about summer of 1985 when she said, yes. You know what the question was, right? I mean, was, was that implied? February 1986, she said, I do. Fall of 1992, she said, I'm pregnant. Late summer 1994, she said, I'm pregnant again. Then we figured out how that worked. It was funny. It took us seven and a half years to get Mikey here. We pass each other in the hall and Matt shows up. Those defining moments. Mikey loves it when I do that. He's like, my ears. So you can never unhear that. All of us, you know, that probably explains a lot about your quirky personality, doesn't it? Because you grew up hearing me talk about your conception from the pulpit. <laughs> okay, we're dismissed. Go ahead and leave. <laughs> See, all of us can point to those defining moments in our lives that change the course of our life. And Jesus spoke about a moment that would define all of our lives. In fact, not only would it define our lives as humanity, but would define and change the course of the history of this world forever. See, if, if you've been reading along the book of Mark, as you may or may not know, Mark is one of four Gospels, the accounts of Christ. Mark was not a, an apostle. Um, some scholars believe that, that he was sort of like the beat writer that was following everything along. He was very close with the apostle Peter. And so what we may be reading in the book of Mark is Peter's account of the gospel. He just didn't want to write it down. But you might have noticed in, this, in the way Mark is written, it's a machine gun style of writing. It's not a lot of flowery speech. It's like, okay, here's what happened. There was this miracle, and then a couple days later, he fed a bunch of people. And then a couple days later, he raised his dude from the dead. And then a couple days later, he fed a bunch of people again. And it's just boom, 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 fact, 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 fact. In fact, Mark speaks a lot more about what Jesus did than what Jesus taught. Until you get to chapter 13. And it's all, it's, it's like Mark just puts the brakes on and says, okay. Now listen to what he said. Because this is the point. And you have to understand that Mark is very, it's a lot shorter than the other, th other three Gospels. And, and so at, at, at Mark 13, Jesus' life is wrapping up. He's, he's about to go before Pilate. He's about to go to the cross. It's, it's, it's coming to an end right here in Mark 13. And here's what he says, I need you to hear me now. And Jesus, at this point, if, you talk, if you're taking notes, Jesus taught us about his return. For an entire chapter. And what I'd like you to do is to go back in, in, your, own, on, in your own time, read the, the, the entire chapter of the book of Mark, and you'll find that Jesus spends 
this entire uh, time talking about his return. And, and I don't want to freak anybody out um, because I've never claimed to be a prophet. I've never, I've never claimed to... Uh, the, the study of end-time events is called eschatology. And that's not, I'm not a scholar. I'm a pastor. You, you, you with me? But I will tell you this, that this is now the third sermon this year on the return of Christ. We didn't do three the previous two years combined. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you... I will. Let me say it like this. Pastors that I follow and that I listen to and podcasts that I listen to, man, we're hearing a lot these days about, man, is this world wrapping up? Now... So take that for what it is. My friend Mark would say it is what it is. But I'm going to ask for your attention this morning. I'm going to ask that you give me your undivided attention. I'm going to give you some information. I'm going to hit it pretty quickly. And then I'm going to ask you for a response. Four things Jesus taught us about his return in Mark chapter 13. All right? Stay with me. The first thing is this. He is returning. Mark 13, 26 says, At that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Here's what I need you to understand. I'm not smart enough to try to determine some parts of Scripture that are literal and some parts that aren't. I'm just going to, because of my brain and the way it works, I'm just going to be crazy enough to take the Bible at its, at its word. That if... It, that Jesus returning isn't some great metaphor, that Jesus is returning. He's really coming back. I really, really, really believe that. I believe with all of my heart that there will come a day. And, and listen, now, this is a very clouded glass. We've talked about that a lot. We don't, anybody that, that will tell you that they can explain to you exactly how it's going to happen, exactly how the time is going to take place, exactly what it's going to look like, shut the TV off because they're crazy. Doesn't work that way. I think God left this as a mystery intentionally. But, but make no mistake, He is coming back. Make no mistake, He is returning. Understand this, and I, I, I may say it ten more times. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's not a story. It's not a parable. Jesus is coming again. He is returning. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Number two, write this down. No one knows when he's returning. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, he says, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So anybody that wants to tell you that they know, and, and, and I've heard a lot of stuff. Anybody seen all the, the blood moon stuff on Facebook? You seen all that? Yeah. Maybe it means something. Maybe it's just a shadow. You with me? Maybe it does mean something. I don't know. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to make stupid predictions that Christ is coming back at 842 tonight because that's when the eclipse is going to start. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows. 
Will it happen in my lifetime? I don't know. Will it happen today? I don't know. Here's, here's what I do know. Everybody, do, do this with me. Everybody, take a real deep breath. Let it out. You've got one less breath now than you had between now and the time when Christ returns. You've got, as of a few minutes, you've got one less Sunday. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming. And I know he's coming sooner than he was 35 seconds ago. Are are you grasping that with me? I can't tell you when he's coming, but we're closer than we've ever been. There's never been a time closer than this moment right now than we've been to the return of Christ. That ought to sober us. The fact that He is coming and nobody can predict when. Nobody can tell you for certain that Jesus is returning today. Nobody can tell you for certain that He isn't. You with me? You just don't know. He's, he is coming. Nobody knows when. And, and, and I'm going to have to give you a little disclaimer here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the little fill in the blank for you, you, know, you control freaks that are like me, filling in the blanks together. That's okay. You're not going to like the word I'm going to use. So write it down and then let me explain it, okay? That Jesus is returning for an exclusive group of people. Well, Dwayne, you sound like one of those preachers on TV that said nobody's going to church but his church. No. But let me tell you what we've stepped away from. We've stepped away from the idea that there's heaven and there's hell. And nothing in between. We've stepped away from the idea that only those people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, if you don't know, if, if that's a, a foreign thought to you, you need to do th- two things. You need, to, you need to study what that means. You need to call somebody here, and we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to explain it. But here's basically what, that means that your life has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That means you're part of that exclusive group of people that Jesus is coming back for. Now, here's the cool part about this exclusive group of people is that it's open to whosoever will. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to look good enough. You don't have to be talented enough. You know what you have to be? You have to be willing to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to follow Him, to confess your sins, to repent of your sins, to agree with God that your sins are indeed sin, and then follow Him. That puts you in a class of very exclusive people. In fact, if we believe the Bible, it's a small group. The Bible says that broad is the way to destruction, and many will be there find. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So maybe you're here. I'll just let me throw this in there. And, and you're unsure about where you stand with Christ. He, listen to me very carefully. Since we already know that He is returning. 
and we don't know when. Sounds like that's not something we need to mess around with. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Period. See, there's this idea that, and what I'm going to say is going to sound very intolerant. And I, I'm trying to care that I'm going to sound intolerant, but I just can't. Because it's just, it just happens to be true. Being a good person won't help you on that day. The best person on the planet, the most moral, ethical person on the planet who finds himself unredeemed without his name written in that book, that's not who Christ is coming back for. The lifelong church member who finds himself unredeemed That's not who Christ is coming back for. Now that sounds harsh. And that sounds... What's... You know, the buzzword today is is tolerant. That sounds intolerant. And and, and it really... um, It really isn't. How more tolerant can Jesus be than to say, Whosoever will come. So we, we know he's coming back. We can't tell when he's coming back. We don't know. Could be today. Could be 100 years from now. We don't know. That he's coming back for a specific group of people, those people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, whose lives have been redeemed. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to need to give you, you to give me a little grace. I don't, I don't like doing what I'm doing, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to talk about this thing for the next few moments. The fourth thing that Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 13 that would be a sign of his return would be that the church would be saturated in false teaching. In Mark chapter 13, verse 6, he said, Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. And I want you to listen to me because I'm telling you this from my heart. I, I, I've watched all the Blood Moon stuff on Facebook too. I've seen it all. And, and there's, there's all sorts of signs and prophecies pointing toward the return of Christ. There is no greater sign than this. He told us in the last day, there would be sheep in wolves' clothing. And I'm going to say some things to you over the next 10 or 12 minutes that's going to sound harsh. It's going to sound, I don't know, it's going to sound, I want, I want you to receive it with grace because that's really how I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you. But I'm going to give you the four, in my mind, and in my heart, and in my study, the four greatest false teachings in our world, in our church, in our culture, right now. You with me? First, Mark's talked about this. I've talked about this. And it's the proliferation of the prosperity gospel. And let me, let me just define that for you a little bit. Because it sounds like I'm telling you that God doesn't want you prospered. And that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. The prosperity gospel is... 
that you can live in whatever manner you desire according to your positive confession. I want you to listen. This came up a couple Wednesday nights ago on our Gods at War. God isn't concerned with your comfort nearly as much as, as He's concerned about your condition. And what this gospel will tell you is that the important thing is what you drive and your bank account and where you live and what you wear and it's just not in the Bible. And it's everywhere. I got this this morning. Now I know some of y'all see this stuff on Facebook or Twitter and think it's cute. It's not cute. It's destructive. It's a, I wish I'd have put it up on the big screen. It's a picture of an ATM receipt. And, and it says it, it's, it, it's a $400 withdrawal. And it's showing his balance at $371,000. And here's what he put. Like my status if you receive it. I decree and declare that an overflow is hitting your bank account, your purse, your wallet, and your pockets in Jesus' name. And, and you chuckle and you laugh. 199,000 people. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to use maybe a term that's, that's academic and theological. That is hooey. It's not in the Bible. Oh, you know the one I love? Like and share this, and in 30 minutes, you'll get good news from God. It doesn't work like that. I hate the... And here's the problem. Is we'll, we'll jump in... Well, it, it won't hurt. Maybe, just maybe. No. Well, you're not going to like this part. You're perpetrating a lie. Now, I will tell you this. I believe with everything in me that greater prosperity can be attained by following biblical principles. Principles like hard work. Principles like giving. Principles like tithing. Principles like staying out of debt. And by the way, I'm not telling you that God won't meet a financial need supernaturally. Because he will. He's done it for me. Has he done it for anybody else? Just so I know. Anybody? All right, listen to me. But when that becomes the pursuit and not a byproduct, it's an idol. The pursuit must always be Jesus, not his. I want to stand before God. Having been able to say that I did my best to tell Life Point Church the truth. And I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible. If you find it, show me. It's not there. Second one. 
And this is where y'all are going to get mad at me. And I'm really excited about that. The idea that Scripture is not our absolute moral authority. And, and here's how it's crept its way into the church. Well, some of the teachings of Christ were, are, are antiquated and they're not culturally revel, relevant anymore. No. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. That the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere, and I'm not going where you think I'm going. See, in 1962, the Supreme Court... Watch my air quotes, kicked God out of our public schools and said that mandated prayer and mandated Bible study was unconstitutional. And so they, watch my air quotes, kicked God out of public schools. Listen to me. If a government can kick God out of anywhere, he's not much of a God. A year before we moved back here to plant the church, I had an opportunity to stand on the steps of Statesboro High School and lead worship at Sea at the Pole one year. Who do we think we are saying we can kick God out of anywhere? That's not the problem. The government was never intended to instill Christian values. It's not their job. So the problem is not that we kicked God out of the schoolroom. The problem is, is that families all across this nation kick God out of our living room. And we've raised a generation of biblically illiterate children. That have no idea because we haven't bothered to take them to things like that. We, we, don't, we don't like using the word Sunday school anymore because it's not cool. But the, we're not, we can't be bothered to do that. We can't be bothered to get them out here on a midweek service. But can I tell you what's happened is that the foundation of Scripture that was once the bedrock of families in our society has been shattered. Do I really expect the government to educate my children spiritually when I send them to school? It's not their job. The way they get educated spiritually is when they come home from school. That's our job. It's my job and yours. But we don't, but, but see, Scripture's not our moral authority anymore. Can I prove it to you? Will you still like me? If Scripture was our moral authority, we would read the New Testament that said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, especially now that the day is approaching. Church attendance has never been lower than it is right now in our nation. 
Because Scripture is not our foundational moral authority any longer. We, we want revival in our country? Now listen to me. I'm going to vote, and I watch the debate, and I'm involved, but revival will not come with somebody moving to Pennsylvania Avenue. Revival will come when moms and dads take seriously their mandate to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Then and only then will we see revival in our, in our nation. Period. It's not our moral authority. Things like bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I'm, I'm not even going there. But guess what we've taught this generation? That supporting your church, being there regularly, is optional. God, forgive us. Third false teaching I want to talk to you about. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let y'all go quickly, I promise. Is this idea that we're saved by reciting the sinner's prayer. Listen to me. The sinner's prayer is a great tool. We use it here from time to time. To help someone understand about a commitment they're making to Christ Jesus. I remember being about 17 years old and I'm at a youth rally. I will never forget this altar call as long as I live. I'm 17, only been saved a couple years, and I knew something was wrong when I heard these words. The guy led dozens of students in the center. It was a beautiful, beautiful night. And then he made this statement that, that to this day hurts my heart. He said, if you prayed that prayer, you're going to heaven, and there's nothing you can do about it. Won't you listen to me? Listen carefully. You're not saved because you recited a prayer. You're not saved because somebody led you in some words that you repeated back to them. You do know that the, that the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. Let me tell you what it is. Belief. Confession. Repentance. Following Christ. Picking up my cross. I'm not saved because I recited a prayer. I'm saved because I made a confession of faith, placed my trust in the person of Jesus Christ, and am doing all I can to follow him day by day. That's why I'm saved. There's a difference in there. And then lastly, I can't even believe I have to read this. Any teaching that doesn't include the existence of a literal hell. You know what I wish? I wish I could stand in front of you and I could say, you know what? Don't worry. At the end of the day, everybody winds up in heaven anyway. What you do with Jesus is really not all that important. I, I wish I could tell you that you get there anyway. I wish I could tell you that there wasn't a hell. 
I wish I could tell you that. But I'd, I'd, I'd be telling you something that wasn't true according to Scripture. So, here's, here's where we find ourselves right now in this moment. We know He's returning. We know that we can't determine when He's coming back. We know that He's coming back for those that have been washed in the, in the blood of the Lamb and whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We know that teachings prevalent in our society and in the, in the church are pointing toward His soon return. So I told you all of that to ask you this question. What are you going to do with that? See, here's what I know. If I could tell you, if I could tell you, okay, it is 1225 on Sunday. By noon Monday, I know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is coming back. Everybody in the room would respond. You'd either stop doing something or you'd start doing something. You with me? Some of you would say, man, i got to get this junk out of my life before noon. And, and I'm just going to go out on a limb. If you knew that for sure, you probably wouldn't wait till 1030 tomorrow. You'd probably start today, right now. And some of you would say, you know what, i got, I got people in my life that don't know Christ. i got to get on the phone. i got to get on. i I, I got to start telling people about Jesus. So what's, I can't tell you that Jesus is coming back by noon tomorrow. But listen, I can't tell you he's not. And so whatever response you would have had, whatever response you would have had, if Jesus is definitely coming back by noon tomorrow, whatever response that, don't wait. So you're here. And there's some stuff that you need to stop. I got it. There's some stuff you need to start. More than anything else, there, there's a word that's been coming up in our, at our church, in our growth groups, all year long. It's Melissa Ford's fault. We'll tell you that story some other, point, some other time. It's surrender. So Donna's going to come play. We're going to pray. And then, honestly, hey, what, what you do with what I just gave you, is, uh, it's on you. I love you. But you know what? I, I can't force you to do anything. But I am going to challenge you. And if, if you're here this morning and, and things aren't right between you and God, man, I, I, I'd, I'd make them right today. Here's how I'd respond. Here's how I'd respond to that information. I want to fall on my face in repentance before God. God, if there's anything in my life that's displeasing you, God, if there's attitudes and actions in my life that... fall short of your glory and I know there are many and God I agree with you 
sin, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Some of you need to do that today. I'm not pointing a judgmental finger. I'm reaching out to you with with the biggest heart of compassion I know how. That if there's stuff in your life that don't belong, get rid of it today. Repentance is a, it, it's a beautiful process. You agree with God that what's going on in your life is sin, and you turn. Turn away. And you follow Jesus. So if that's you, hey, nobody's looking around. Your heads are bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not going to play any games this morning. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, if that's you, if, if, if you've got some stuff in your life that, that I'm not even going to ask for your hand. You know who you are. When we pray right now, God, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Maybe you're here. such a way you're not living in sin you just stopped being a voice for Jesus in your world sometimes that's a voice of compassion and love and mercy sometimes it's a voice of warning sometimes it's a voice of correction but you've just stopped there are people in your world that need to know Jesus and need to know his love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion and you and I are called to be his voice in this world and if you've stopped because of circumstances of life because things did not go your way I, the, the list is innumerable I'm just telling you to let God reignite your passion for Christ this morning we're going to pray in Jesus name God we love you God, there are those of us here today that need to turn from our sin. Forgive us, wash us, cleanse us. We want to be ready when you return. God, we know that that doesn't happen because we recite a prayer. It happens because we believe, we confess, we repent, and we trust Jesus for the full pardon of our sin. God, I recognize that I'm not good enough to do something about my sin on my own. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough willpower. So I thank you that you did the work 2,000 years ago on a cross. You bought my freedom, and I trust you. God, there are those of us who you're calling to reignite our voice to a lost and dying world. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us what to look for when you're coming back. And God, lastly, God, I just I pray for families today. God, I pray that you would reignite our passion for your scripture, for your word. And that, God, we would learn that your word truly is life. And that we build our life our families 
on the solid rock that is the Word of God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think it would be in order if you just give God the loudest ovation of praise because He's good and great. God bless you. Have a great, great, great afternoon.